Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you. That is why we are here today to give thanks to you, to exalt the name of the Savior that you have provided for all mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that today as we gather together, that we might enjoy the fellowship that comes through your Spirit. We pray that we might truly exalt and And lift up Jesus because he is worthy of our praise. And in so doing, we pray that you, Father, would be honored by everything that we say and do here today. Bless your people, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our call to worship this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter 4 beginning verse 17. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the people of the world live in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self 
the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe if you remember back far enough, you can remember a time when you were a kid and you were running, running down a hill. You know how it goes, faster, 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 and pretty soon your feet just cannot keep up. You find yourself head over heels, you're out of control. I can remember times like that as a kid. And I'm assuming that you can as well. You know, this church that the Apostle Paul has been writing to in the letter that we've been studying, 1 Corinthians they were a church that was, in many ways, out of control. Like a child running down the hill and the feet just can't keep up. This was a church the people had been blessed in so many ways. So many of them had been given wonderful gifts by the Holy Spirit. Gifts that they could use to build each other up. To serve each other and bless each other. And these people were out of control. So many of the people who had these wonderful gifts... They were focused on the gift. They were focused on using it maybe to feel good about themselves. And they weren't really showing any care or concern or compassion for their brother, their sister, their neighbor. So many of them were focused inward on themselves. When we do that, and we do do that too, it's not just the Corinthians, we can be guilty of it as well. When we focus inward on ourselves, we're like that kid running downhill. We get out of control. We lose all sense of balance. Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians, which you'll be turning to in a moment. He wrote it to people who were struggling with living the Christian life. They were out of control. And as we come to the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been dealing with the matter of the gifts of the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit equips and gifts his people with abilities to serve him and to serve each other. It shouldn't be neglected. It shouldn't be ignored. But it should be seen in the right perspective so that it can be used in the right way. Here in chapter 14, picking up in verse 26, Paul has some practical prescriptions for how this church is to use the gifts of the Spirit to serve each other. And that's the first point of our message today. Paul's practical prescriptions. You'll notice the use of the P's in our sermon today. 
Paul's practical prescriptions. Verse 26, he writes, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, each one has a teaching, each one has a revelation, each one has a language, each one has an interpretation of that language. Each one of you has a gift that you're using to minister to the body of Christ. Everything is to be done for building up each other. If anyone speaks in another language, and that was one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that was given, the ability to speak in other languages. And there were people in this church who had that ability, and they were using it, but they weren't always using it the right way. Paul is going to correct some of the misuse of that ability. So let's look at that together. He says, if anyone speaks in another language or another tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most, three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Paul lays down a very specific prescription regarding one of the gifts of the Spirit, and that was the gift of speaking in unknown languages, a language that, that the speaker themselves didn't know, but the Spirit of God gave utterance to that individual, and they were able to speak in these other languages. And we looked last week at how that was an important sign gift, and surprisingly, it was a sign for unbelievers. For those who were rejecting Jesus, this was a sign. That's an important thing to keep in mind. I'm just going to bunny trail for just a moment here. So often in churches that emphasize the gift of languages, it's done in such a way that it's communicated that speaking in an unknown language is a sign that, that you're saved. Or that you have the Holy Spirit. But we saw last week in, in the earlier verses of this passage that the Apostle Paul says it is a sign, but it's actually a sign for unbelievers. A sign to those who are rejecting the gospel. And, and we, we saw that that was a very interesting thing to consider. We're not going to backtrack onto that. But just keep in mind, the gift of languages was a sign to unbelievers who were rejecting Christ. But Paul says, if this gift is going to be used in the context of our church gatherings, he says there have to be some ground rules in place. He's very specific. He says, if there's going to be anyone speaking in unknown languages, two or three at the most, two or three speakers at the most, each one of them is to wait their turn. One at a time, please get in a line. Uh, these weren't my prescriptions. These were the apostles' prescriptions for how the gift was to be used. And then he went a little bit further. He said, it has to be interpreted. There has to be someone there in the church meeting who has been given the gift of interpretation by the Holy Spirit. And this person can hear what is being said and can interpret this language for everyone who's there. Why is that? Because if you don't understand what's being said it's not building you up and helping you. And that's the number one criteria that Paul gives for the spiritual gifts. And we'll see that a little bit later in this passage. 
the number one criteria is the gifts have been given to build each other up. The only way that you can be built up by something that you hear is if you can understand it. So Paul says there has to be an interpreter present. Someone who can interpret what has been spoken. And if there is not someone there who can do that, then the person with the gift of languages needs to just keep it to themselves for that church meeting. Don't use it. You only use it if it can be interpreted. It's pretty clear. And whether or not we agree with that is beside the point. This is what Paul is saying. I would encourage you to agree with it because I think that he probably is on the right track here. He is an authorized apostle of the Lord Jesus after all. Let's continue in the passage, picking up in verse 29. He's going to move on to another gift of the Spirit. And he's been using these two gifts, the gift of languages and the gifts of prophecy, to kind of make his points, his examples, as he goes through teaching on the gifts. Um, We need to pause for a moment as we talk about prophecy. I've mentioned it in previous weeks. I want to pick it up again. Typically, when we hear the word prophecy, we think of telling the future, right? That's the first thing that comes to mind. A prophecy tells the future. But not always. Prophecy is bigger than that. Part of prophecy can be telling the future. Many times, the Lord would give a message through a prophet. And then, the Lord would give a prediction for the future. And this was kind of a way for the people to test to see if the prophet's words were true. A prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, delivers a message from the Lord. God's people say, how do we know that this prophet is really speaking on behalf of the Lord? Maybe he's just speaking his own message. Well, a prediction would be included with that message, and then God's people would see if that prediction came true, something that could not possibly have been predicted otherwise. You know, we're not talking about flip a coin kind of stuff here, 50-50 chance. We're talking about something that was way out there, like if this comes true, yeah, this has to be from God because only God can see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So God's people see if the prediction comes true. It does. We have confirmation. This is a true word from the Lord. So you see, oftentimes prophecy included prediction, but it didn't have to. Prophecy is a whole lot more than just predicting the future. Prophecy is a word from the Lord, a message from God. And Paul considers that gift to be right at the very top of all of the spiritual gifts. Why is that? It's simple. What does every man, woman, boy, or girl need more than anything else? Even more than oxygen. We need to know what God's will is. We need to know what God has done for us in and through Christ Jesus. That's the most important thing in life. To know what our Creator requires. And what He desires from us. Prophecy makes the mind and the heart of God known to people. Through prophecy, you can know what God wants, what He desires for you for your life. That's why it's so important. Prophecy, knowing the will of God, it builds us up. So Paul puts that right at the very top of the list. 
Because people need to know what God is all about. So he's going to turn to that gift of prophecy here in verse 29. He says, two or three prophets should speak in your church meetings. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should evaluate. The Apostle John told his readers, test the spirits. Evaluate what is being spoken in the name of the Lord. And that's what Paul is mentioning here. He says that two or three prophets should speak God's word to his people. And then the rest who are listening should evaluate it to find out, is this from the Lord? Does this line up with the rest of God's word? If we search the scriptures, is this prophet saying something that contradicts what God has already revealed? Get this and get it for sure. God will not contradict himself. If an alleged prophet, if a self-proclaimed prophet speaks a message in the name of the Lord, your first response should be to go to this book, the revealed word of God. Go there. Test what the prophet has spoken. See if it lines up. If it contradicts, if it doesn't line up, you can be sure of it. That prophet, he's spoken, but he's not spoken from the Lord. It's not a true word. Two or three should speak and the others should evaluate. Verse 30, but if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, then the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophets, the prophet's spirits, are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. <coughs> Two or three prophets are going to speak the word of the Lord to his people. The people are going to listen. They're going to evaluate. Prophet number one is standing up and he's speaking. Prophet number two gets a word from the Lord. Prophet number one should be willing to step aside and let the second person have a turn speaking. Remember, we're not all going to speak at the same time. We're going to do it in order. We're going to take our turns. Two or three are going to get to speak. And we're going to take our turns. No one should monopolize the whole situation. That's what Paul is getting at here. Whenever he says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet's. God's not a God of disorder, but of peace. Prophet number one, he likes to run the show. He likes to monopolize the conversation. He doesn't give anyone else a chance to speak. Kind of like I'm doing right now. <laughs> he just goes on and on. Someone says, hey, 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 hold on. You need to give the other speakers a chance to talk. Prophet one says, oh, I can't help it. I can't help it because when the Spirit of God comes upon me, I just got to get it all out. I just got to speak and speak and speak, and I've really got no control over the matter. And Paul says, that's hogwash. You as a prophet, you have control over your own spirit, so don't give us this lame excuse that God's Spirit is taking control of you and you can't stop yourself. No. No. That's not going to fly with Paul, and it shouldn't fly with us either. 
Paul says the, pro- the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, the prophet is responsible to have self-control and self-restraint. Paul says God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. Things should be done decently and in order. And so coming to the end of this first section, I want to look at Paul's practical prescriptions, and I want to point out three of them for you here today. Number one, the church assembly. When we gather together as the church, it's to be a time and a place where individual Christians exercise their spiritual gifts for the benefit of building each other up. Everything comes back to that. The gifts that God gives through His Spirit, they are for building each other up. Number two, individual Christians should exercise not only their gifts, but also self-control and self-restraint. Notice the prescriptions that Paul puts in place here for the use of the gifts. He says, do it decently. Do it in order. Wait your turn. Two or three at the most. There should be an interpreter for someone speaking a foreign language. If you're a prophet, be willing to step down and let someone else talk once in a while. Don't monopolize the conversation. Self-control and self-restraint are expected of us as we exercise our gifts in the body of Christ. Number three, all things should be done decently and in order. God's not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. Our assemblies, our gatherings together should very much reflect that. Self-control, self-restraint, not letting things get out of hand. This should be a place where each one of us gets the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given us to build each other up and to bless each other. Moving on quickly, our sermon only has two points today and we've come to the second one. It's called pondering a perplexing passage. And boy, is it ever pondering a perplexing passage. Verses 34 and 35. As in all the churches of the saints... The women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject, are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. How many of you have been anticipating these verses as we've approached them in our study of 1 Corinthians? Oh, it's good stuff, isn't it? I've been waiting for these verses for a long time, and not because I want to hammer down on them, because I want to try to take a perplexing passage. I want to try to shed a little bit of light and clear it up. And I think there's some light that can be shed here today. But you're going to hang, have to hang with me on this because this is going to be something that requires your attention. But I hope I have your attention. Anytime someone reads, women need to be quiet, that's going to get every man's attention probably. It's going to get every woman's attention too because it's probably going to get your dander up just a little bit. I know it would mine. Um, First thing I want to point out, these verses or these words from these verses appear in every ancient manuscript of this letter that we have. So, That's pretty strong evidence, I guess a person could say, that 
They belong here. But I want to tell you this too. Not every ancient manuscript puts these words in the same place. Some manuscripts put them later in the chapter. Some put them at the end of the chapter. It's almost as if the scribes who were copying these manuscripts had a little bit of confusion about where exactly do these verses go? It's not the same in every text. The other thing I want to point out about these two verses is this. Some of the ancient manuscripts, the scribes have made little marks beside these words indicating that they themselves had some confusion about the authenticity of these words. In other words, the scribe has been given a manuscript to copy, and his job is to copy it faithfully, word for word, not leave anything out. But this scribe probably doesn't have just one manuscript to work from. He's probably got a variety of manuscripts that he can look at and refer to. And what he noticed is that some of these manuscripts didn't contain those verses. And it was a question mark for him. Nonetheless, the manuscript that he was assigned to copy is sitting right here on his desk. And he knows he has to copy every word or he's not doing his job. But he also knows that there's other manuscripts that don't have these words. So he makes little marks to indicate there's a little question here. There's some confusion about these particular words. Now, the really reassuring thing about looking at the ancient manuscripts is this. This is like one of two places in the entire New Testament that we have any question marks. We have nothing else in the rest of Scripture that we've got question marks like this, but this is one of the places that we do. Ancient scribes had questions about it, and I think it's only right that we should have questions about it too. Some scholars have concluded that these words were a later addition, that the Apostle Paul didn't write them. We're going to consider some possibilities as we ponder over this perplexing passage. First, let's, just for sake of argument, let's assume that these verses were penned by the Apostle Paul and they very much belong right where they're at. Okay, let's go with that first. Three interpretive possibilities for us here today, assuming that they belong. First interpretive possibility, A, women should not speak in church. I mean, if you read it at face value, that's what it says, right? Mum's the word, ladies. That's a possibility. But there's a big problem with that. If you read through the New Testament, you can find places where the Apostle Paul refers to women as his fellow workers in the gospel. In the book of Romans, you can even find a place where Paul refers to a woman named Junia as an apostle, a messenger of Christ. How's a messenger of Christ going to get that job done without talking? Think about it. But we don't have to go to the rest of the New Testament. We can stay right here in Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians and we can find out that that interpretation that women shouldn't speak in church, it doesn't hold water. 
If we turned back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, I'm going to read it for you. Paul says, Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. Paul was dealing with another matter, the matter of women in that culture throwing off cultural restraints and doing scandalous things. But the thing that's assumed by Paul is that there are women in the church who are praying, and not only praying, they're prophesying. What's prophesying? Remember? Speaking the word of the Lord to God's people. Wow. Paul assumes that there are women who are gasp, horror, speaking in church. So think about that. If we try to interpret these verses, assuming they belong, interpret that women should be quiet and not talk in church, that argument just doesn't hold water. Because Paul contradicts it earlier in, his, in this very same letter. Okay, you still with me? What's another interpretive possibility for these verses? B. The women in question are the wives of the prophets. This word that is interpreted, translated women, can also mean wife. So it's the wives of the prophets that are being talked about. And Paul is saying that when their husband, who is a prophet, when he speaks, and then everyone else is supposed to evaluate and listen to it and see if it's from God, Paul is saying, wives of the prophets, don't weigh in on the evaluation. Just hold your peace. You know, kind of like in our day, you're not compelled or obliged to testify against your spouse in a court of law. Why? Because of that intimate connection, that special relationship between a husband and wife. It's kind of like Paul's saying the same thing. When a prophet speaks in the church, if you are his wife, don't jump into the discussion about what he has just prophesied. Let the rest of the church do that. You recuse yourself and say, you know, I really can't, I really can't speak about that because I'm kind of married to the guy. You see where that's going? That's a real possibility. Paul says, if you've got questions or comments about the prophecy that your spouse made, talk about that at home in privacy so you maintain his dignity, his honor. Don't do anything that would, would you know, just be a conflict of interest in the church setting. I think that's a pretty good interpretation. I kind of like that myself. There's another possibility. C, Paul is answering a point that the Corinthians had made to him in writing earlier on. We've seen that a couple times already in this letter that Paul has written, where he will, it's almost like he's taking a bullet point out of a letter that they had written, and then he's quoting it back to them, and then he's answering the question. It, it almost seems like perhaps what Paul is doing here is he's saying, hey, you know in your letter whenever you wrote, you know, women should be silent like the law says? He's dealing with that point at this point. What law is being referred to? Not the law of the Lord, not the Old Testament. The reference would be to the Roman law. Women were forbidden to speak in public settings where men were present, like a town hall meeting or something like that. So perhaps the Corinthian Christians who had written to Paul 
they had this question. They said, hey, we know in our culture, women aren't supposed to talk in a public meeting. But here in the church, we've got women who are prophesying and praying. What do you think about that? Should they just be quiet like Roman law tells women to be quiet? Well, if that is what's going on here, Paul forcefully rejects that notion. Uh, Look down here further in the passage. Let's see, verse 36. He says, or did the word of God originate from you or did it come to you only? Uh, That verse actually starts out with a very strong word that's not reflected in our English texts. The best way of translating it would be like this. What? (laughs) Hey, Paul, should women just shut up in church? You know, like Roman law says. And Paul says, what? You've got to be kidding me. He says, did the word of God originate from you or did it come to you only? No, God's spirit speaks through whomever God's spirit chooses to speak through. And that includes women too. That's what Paul's response would be if we're talking about that interpretive possibility. Okay, but let's let's go down a different track. Please hang with me. I, I want you to have all the possibilities here. What if these verses simply don't belong in this text? And I do consider that a real possibility. Some of the scribes, as I mentioned earlier, they didn't know where to put them. Earlier, later, at the end, they didn't know where they belonged. Some of them even questioned that they even did belong. So let's explore that real quick. What if these verses just flat out don't belong and were added later by someone else? Let's read the passage without them and let's see how it flows. I think you're going to be surprised at how well the passage flows if we just take this little parentheses right out. It actually makes a lot more sense. Let's look at it. Uh, Verse 29 is where we're going to back up to. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person or prophet sitting there, then the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. Everyone takes their turn. So that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Skip over those two verses. What? Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. Let me recap the flow of his argument for you as we we wrap this up here today. Number one, two or three prophets should speak what the Lord has revealed to them. They should take their turns. And not monopolize the whole situation. The rest of the church body is to evaluate what is being said. And if anyone insists on monopolizing the conversation, if there's any prophet that says, hey, when the Spirit comes on me and moves me, I, I, I just can't stop. I just got to keep going, keep going. Paul says hogwash. The prophet should be self-controlled. What? Did God's word originate with you? Are you the only person that God has spoken to? 
Are you the only one who has exclusive rights to what the Spirit is saying? If you think you're a prophet or spiritual in any way, then you will recognize that what I, Paul, am telling you is really not my instruction, but it's the Lord's command. Do things decently and in order. Wait your turn. Don't monopolize things. Exercise some self-control and self-restraint for crying out loud. And if you ignore the Lord's command, the instructions that I, Paul, am giving you, if you ignore the Lord's command, then you better be prepared to be ignored yourself because you're not going to be getting any airtime. We're going to shut you down and make you sit down. Do you see how that whole argument flows? If verses 34 and 35 aren't jammed into the middle of it. Now, I can't tell you where I come down on the whole issue. Do those verses belong? Maybe they do. Were those verses added later on? I'm not sure. I think maybe they could have been. Because when you take him out, it seems like the whole flow of his argument makes so much sense. What I do know is this. If those verses are to be there and you interpret it that women should just be quiet in church and have nothing to say, well, you've made a mistake because even Paul doesn't go along with that. Paul assumes that women who belong to the Lord have something to say in the body of Christ. So hopefully having a few possibilities to consider will help you in your own evaluation. Remember, we're called to evaluate the prophecies. Yeah, I'm calling on you to evaluate this. You've got to do that for yourself. Evaluate it. Know that there are possibilities. It's a perplexing passage. But there's some good ways to read it and understand it that don't force you into an obvious contradiction. Three personal points of application, and we're done here today. And it's just a recap. The church, it's a place where brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, should be able to exercise their spiritual gifts to build each other up. That includes males and females. Number two, each of us has a responsibility to exercise some self-control and self-restraint as we exercise our gifts. And number three, God's a God of order and peace. Everything that we do should be done decently and in order. Confusion and chaos, those things have no place in the body of Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we admit that sometimes it's difficult to understand and we learn and we grow as we mature in our faith and in our walk with you. And some things that we thought we had we, uh, we end up learning them differently as we go forward. But Father, we just pray that your spirit would guide us, lead us and instruct us. And above all, that we would use these spirit-given gifts to build each other up, that we would do it in a way that honors you. You are a God of order and peace, not chaos and confusion. We pray that in our personal lives, and in our corporate lives together when we gather as the body of Christ, that we would reflect that order and that peace which you've spoken to us through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. May the grace and peace of God our Father and the Lord Jesus be with you all today, this week, and forever.
Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.